I tell you, I got a message that I want to speak today because actually there's been a lot of uh, talk about, uh, you know, revival. And, you know, some of us have seen, if you're kind of tuned into what's happening with the Asbury, they call it the Asbury Revival, which I think is absolutely amazing to see what happened in that college I think in Kentucky, if I got that right. And uh, it's a small college, about 2,000 students. And they realized that this phenomenon, this real genuine move of God, um, it was people from all over the states were, were flying in and wanting to just be in the room. And it just, it wasn't big enough. And that's what I love about what God does. What God does was never meant to be contained. It's meant to be spread. It's meant to be spreading, and so they had enough wisdom to say, "Hey, we're a Christian college, and our mission and goal here is to provide ongoing education. There is an absolute move of God, but now take this back to where you are, because we can't just keep having services like this. It is not sustainable, and I love that. I, I actually, Some people go, they stopped it. No, they actually gave leadership wisdom to a genuine move of God. And of course, I, I'm talking to pastors all the time now, and they're all saying, we're having revival. And I'm going, are you having revival? Or are you having just good services? Because I want to actually show you what revival looks like in Scripture. And now, when we know what it looks like in Scripture, let's just understand what is a move of God. I've often said this, and I wonder if you'll catch this this morning, uh, where ministry giftedness exceeds the ability to give leadership and organization and strategy. Where ministry giftedness exceeds leadership, organization, and strategy, it is always going to implode. It, it, it has the ability to actually, let, you know, in one sense, almost destroy itself. Matter of fact, I just this week, I don't know how many of you have seen um, the movie Jesus Revolution. And uh, yeah, well, I'm still undone by it. I, I went and saw it and I'm like, oh God, that, I mean, I, I'm speechless uh, throughout the entire movie and I know the story I know the history of it you know with Chuck Smith and Lonnie Williams and Greg Laurie I actually know Greg Laurie he's a great man of God pastors a great church in California and he helped a friend of mine out and Greg Laurie is absolutely the real deal let me tell you and uh but I went with Bill Young and Dwayne Perry we just went and I'm telling you throughout the entire movie I'm just crying because I'm seeing a genuine move of God. What is and what was called in that day an absolute revival. And it was a move of God amongst hippies where people were coming into the church. And I love it because they were messing up the church. And the church wasn't liking it. And they didn't like the carpet getting dirty. I tell you, sometimes I think if we're not careful, we can be so used to coming to church that we, we, we're noticing the wrong things. Some people go, well, the music's too loud or the, you know, the carpet's dirty or, you know, some, you know, some you know, other things that are going on. And I'm thinking to myself, I pray what we really see and what we know is God is moving. Amen. And how do we know when God is moving? It's when people are getting saved. Amen. And not just saved, although that would be enough in and of itself, but discipled and led and going on to live a blessed life and encouraging others to know Christ. Can anybody say amen? So a move of God doesn't answer everything. It doesn't. Some people think that's the answer to everything, a move of God, okay? Let me ask you a question. What is better, a, a, a testimony of divine health across your life or a testimony of being healed of a terrible terminal illness what's better now we'll take the healing if you have a terrible terminal illness I was someone this week and we went and prayed with them and I believe God heals I'm asking the question what would you rather would you rather the testimony of divine health across your life or now we'll take the healing if the healing is necessary amen but sometimes I think to myself God can and does heal but maybe, maybe sometimes 
It's our eating habits that created that sickness. Or maybe it's bitterness that's got on the inside of us, which can destroy you and make you physically sick. Anybody? But if you don't deal with the bitterness or you don't deal with your lifestyle, you're going to need another healing. Amen? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say what's better. So what's better? A, a testimony of blessing across your life, prosperous soul. Amen? Or a testimony of God saving you from bankruptcy. Because if you don't change your business habits, anybody hearing me? So I, I want to speak to us about revival. As a matter of fact, I, I've been to several conferences. By the way, you guys are, I don't know how long you're going to keep playing for. Uh, but thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing the music going, they're going to stop soon. Aren't they awesome? Come on, show your love. I'm, I'm trying to behave. I'm my, my doctor told me to stay off my foot for just, I go see him tomorrow. So hopefully I'll be released of this boot in Jesus' name. And uh, I'm trying to do what the doctor said. Praise the Lord. Besides that, Sharon is nagging me about it. I keep trying to quote the Bible verse. Better to be on the rooftop of a house than a nagging wife. But dear God, she is nagging me. So you can all tell her that I didn't stand up and preach today. Is that right? Praise the Lord. No, it is right. Oh, look, I'm sitting down. Okay, so I go to a men's conference and they'll say at a men's conference, it's when men take the rightful place in the home. It's, it's, it's when they get on their knees and, and when men pray. It's, that's when revival comes. You go to a women's conference and they say, it's the hand that rocks the cradle that rules the world. It's when women you know, step up into their role as motherhood and family. That's when revival comes. You go to a children's conference, I say, when you study world history and revival, where revival comes from, it's when we reach the younger generation. That's where revival comes from. We've got to reach the children, bring up a child in the way that they should go. You go to a youth conference, same thing. You go to a worship conference and it's a new renaissance. We've got to recapture the arts and every new move of God, there's a new song. And, and I actually started getting confused. Where does revival come from? Because all those things sound right. Amen? But actually, I'm, I remember one time just recently, oh, well, it was a few years ago now, I went to Israel and uh, there was this uh, Australian uh, tour group in the what they think is the upper room where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They think this was the room that they were in. And so I went in there, just curious, to see how big the room was. And, um, and then all of a sudden, now I don't know if you've been to Israel, I don't know if you know a lot about nature in Israel, but doves are very common in Israel. It's like, a, it's like our cardinal, it's, a, it's, it's you know, that, that Virginia state bird. Is the cardinal. Well, in, in, in Jerusalem, doves are quite common. And so when I walked into this upper room and there was a window and a dove flew in and everybody went, oh, God sent the Holy Spirit because a dove flew in to, and they all, they all go around, they all start speaking in tongues and they're going, come on, join us. I'm like, it, it was a dove. It flew in the open window. And they're having this genuine, like, I liked it, but I also thought, no, no, that's just like the bird was outside, now the bird's inside. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I, I'm not a cynic to God. Let me tell you, I have seen, I mean, uh, you know, I was talking to someone this week. When I tell a testimony about something that, of a miracle, I know confidently I can back it up. When I tell about the story about praying for a little baby that was 18 months old that had been pronounced uh, dead and had the opportunity to pray with that baby and it came back to life. I can tell you the name of the person that I prayed for. I can, 
when I tell the story about an angel playing the guitar one time in a service, I tell you, Mark Hopkins was in the room and he heard it. And Sharon, my wife, uh, she was in the room. Now, you might think, well, Steve, you're a communicator. You might sensationalize that. Let me tell you, you can't make that story any better than it is. An angel came in to the room and played the guitar. What do you do when an angel... So I believe in a revival. I believe for a move of God. But I think sometimes we think that what we think is revival may not be revival. So let's go. I want to read, as, uh, let's have a look here. I'm going to give you an acrostic here, if you like, for the word revival. So we're going to go off R. What, what are the ingredients of a revival? Number one is repentance. Amen. The first ingredient of revival is an awareness of sin, that we need a Savior. Can anybody say Amen. The second one is E, the word, the letter E in revival. R, repentance, E, is enthusiastic. I actually think that, actually that word, if you know, in theos means in God. And without a doubt, a, an ingredient for revival is it's in God to be enthusiastic. And I believe revival brings enthusiasm, brings life, brings faith, brings hope, brings joy. Amen. Uh, v, a revival, an ingredient for revival is there's a sense of you're visionary. You're, you're looking toward the future. You're not just enthusiastic, but I want to tell you, you've got a vision to see a nation change. You've got a vision to see family members change. You've got a vision to see loved ones saved and coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. My friends, that, they are the ingredients of a revival. Here's a big one. And this one is I, the letter I, which in revival, R-E-V-I, is interdependent. I love what Sharon said just a few weeks ago. I think it was at Devoted. She goes, you know, I think she was quoting Craig Rochelle. And, and she was saying how that in the early church days, everybody knew how much they needed each other. And there was a great sense of interdependence upon community. Amen. Today, we don't know that like they did. We have this sense of independence, but I want to tell you, one of the major ingredients of a revival is interdependence. Can you say amen? Next one, V, the valor. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. It says the wicked flee, though no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. A, in this word revival, means you're active. It means you're participating. It means you're engaged. Amen. I went out last Sunday as we dismissed our kids just to have a look since, you know, we've been in our one service for a little while now, just making sure we're taking good care of the kids, making sure it's not just organized chaos as we release the kids, making sure everything's safe. I did find one lost child, I might add, but he was deliberately lost. He was trying to avoid us. And uh, so I found him and helped him be where he needed to be. Uh, but, what, you know, I thought about that. I thought, right now in our church, we need some more volunteers in our kids' ministry. We need some parents to be willing to step up and serve in that area. Amen. Uh, and the last one, L, is I think one of the most important ingredients of revival is you love people. And, and I think to myself, in today's world, we, we almost love to attack people. We love to call people out. And as Christians, I think if we're going to have a genuine move of God, there ought to be a genuine, deep love for people. If you're a Democrat, you should love Republicans. Amen. If you're a Republican, you should love Democrats. Did I say that wrong? Why are you laughing? If you're a Christian, listen, you should love people, transgender people. You should love them. Doesn't mean you accept behavior and lifestyle, but you love them. Somebody say amen. Let me show you a move of God in the Bible. This one's my favorite. Matthew 17, verse 1. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, as I talk to you today, I'm shaking. 
This is so much to me. This subject is so real to me. I, I'm really praying that God speaks to us deeply. And look at this. And, and it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. They're the inner three, the brother of James. And he led them to a high mountain by themselves. And there, watch this, he, Jesus, transfigured before them. That is an amazing thing that took place right there. His face, listen to the words, his face shone like the sun. Could you imagine that? His face shone like the sun. <laughs> and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with Jesus. I don't have time to quote to you all the different counts of the Gospels giving this story, but I'm going to just tell you a little bit about some of the things that happened that other other gospels brought out that maybe Matthew didn't, but I love to read it from Matthew. And Peter, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Don't you love Peter? Lord, it is good that we are here during this moment of deity. Lord, it is good that we, the inner three, it's right. It's fitting, it's appropriate that you would reveal to us your glory, your majesty. You broke out of your humanity and you're revealing your deity to us for we have been illuminated by this moment. Thank you, Lord. It is good that we're here. And look what Peter says. I love this. This is so the church. This is so how Christians think. Peter said, if you wish, I will build three altars. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Of course, Jesus, you'll be in the middle. And I love this. Then, I love this. It says, while he was still speaking, here's Peter. And it's the only guy in the whole Bible that is interrupted by the three different persons of the Godhead. While he's talking, God speaks audibly and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Do you know what God's saying? Shut up. Stop talking and confirming how dumb you are. This was not a moment for you, Peter, to build a monument to a moment. There's a bigger lesson going on here. But that's what the church does. The church institutionalizes, memorializes, and builds monuments to a moment. And here is Peter. Lord, it is good. We'll build an altar for you, Jesus, in the middle. And we'll build an altar. Here's Moses and here's Elijah. We're going to, we're, wow, this is a move of God. Let's all go to Asbury. Are you hearing this? And so look what happens. This is my son in whom I am pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Peter came and he touched them. He said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And then we're coming down the mountain. Watch this now. Here's the lesson. What did God say? Peter, zip it, listen. You got it? As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus said, where am I? Coming down the mountain, verse 9. Jesus instructed them, don't tell anybody what you've seen. Watch, until you've seen the Son of Man being raised from the dead. And the disciples asked, uh, why then do the teachers of law say Elijah must come first? They're kind of thinking, well, where's Elijah? I mean, everything we know about prophecy is there was supposed to be someone before you. And it was supposed to be somebody in the spirit of Elijah. And I guarantee you, they were thinking, well, there was Elijah transfigured right before us with Moses. What is this? And I love what he says. But Jesus says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. But here's what Jesus said. When God said, be quiet, Peter, stop talking. Listen to him. Jesus takes him back down the mountain. And he goes, now don't tell them about this moment until after you see the Son of Man raised from the dead. Here's what we've got to do when God turns up. We've got to go back down the mountain and tell people about our risen Savior. 
Can you say amen? It's not to go to the mountain and build a monument to the mountain. We don't worship the mountain. We worship God. Can somebody say amen? And so it's an actual transfiguration. It is an amazing, the inner three are there. And the Bible says in one of the other gospels that while this happened, it says these three disciples would heavy with sleep. And when they woke up, they saw his glory. I got to tell you, sometimes you can be in the middle of a move of God and be asleep. You don't even know that God is moving. And all of a sudden, you wake up, and then you see his glory. I remember one time we saw 33 people give their life to Jesus, and somebody came up to me afterwards and goes, Pastor, I want you to know that everybody's leaving the church. And I said, what do you mean everybody's leaving the church? Well, somebody they knew had, had left. And I said, did you not see 33 people just come to the altar and give their life to Jesus? I've got to tell you, you can be asleep. And right in front of you, God is moving, and you don't even see it in Jesus' name. Look what Peter said. I want to I read you what Peter said about this transfiguration in his own epistle. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths that uh, says, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. He's talking about that moment of transfiguration. For when... He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was borne by him was by, by majestic God's glory. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we are with him. We were with him on the holy mountain. Do you know what Peter's doing? He's telling people what he saw. He's telling people what he heard. And I want to encourage you, church, to tell people what you see and to tell people what you know in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Amen. Let me show you a revival in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 8. It says, and there was great joy in that city. And there was a certain man called Simon who before time in the same city used sorcery. So there's the occult. And it says, and he bewitched people uh, from the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was someone great, or that he was a great one, to whom they all, listen to this, gave heed from the least to the greatest. This guy's not just reaching the down and outs. He's not just reaching the up and, up and you know, up, what's the word, up, up and out. He's reaching everybody. And, he, and the Bible says they all paid great attention. And it says, and, and they said, this man has the great power of God. And with him they had regard. Because for a long time, watch, he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. No gender confusion there. And then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered and beholding the miracles and the signs that were done. Now, when the apostles, what, well, I'm going to give you the ingredients for a revival here. When the apostles, which were in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Holy Spirit, he was not fallen on any of them. They were only baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, that's, that's a biblical revival right there. And I'm all for having great church services. We need to have great church services. But let me tell you what the Bible says when revival comes. There was great joy in the city. The whole city could not ignore what was happening. And my prayer is that we know revival in that regard, that we shake our cities for the glory of God. And we got to get what God does here in the church, and we got to take it. we got to go back down the mountain and tell people what we see, what we know, what we believe. Because let me tell you, the world is lost. It's doomed. It's dying. It doesn't know which way is up, but we have the truth. And 
And we've got to make sure that when we see the glory of God and we know the majesty of who Jesus is, that we tell people who he is. Come on, church. Somebody get excited. Look at the ingredients of this revival. Number one, revival brings great joy to a city, not just church meetings. Come on, somebody say amen. Revival is greater than that of the power of the enemy. This man who was a sorcerer bewitched everybody. But the moment even Simon the sorcerer saw the great power of God, even he himself was baptized. Later you read on that story, Simon turns out to tries to buy the giving of the Holy Spirit. And boy, did he get rebuked for that. Amen. But let me tell you what that means. It means the Holy Spirit supersedes anything of the power of the enemy. I am not worried about what the devil is doing. I am not worried, no matter how dark you think it is right now in the United States, no matter how bad you think it is, no matter how evil you think it is, the power of God is greater than the enemy. Look at the ingredients of revival. It says, the preaching of the Word of God. They believed the preaching of Philip. If you want to know what a move of God looks like, I've got to tell you, you cannot take the preaching of the Word of God out of the move of God. There is no sustainable move of God unless the Word of God is being preached and taught. It's not just all worship. It's not just all prayer. It's not just all, you know, intercession. But let me tell you, it's the preaching of the Word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And these signs will follow them that believe. Listen to this. Listen, we've got to be preaching the Word of God. We've got to be people of the Word. And we cannot just ignore. We can't just be worship. We can't just be about the giving. We've got to know the Word of God and love. The Bible says the, the disciples in the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Amen? Amen? Devoted themselves. Why? Because they were preaching the Word of God. Amen. Well, you know what revival looks like? It means people are getting baptized. Water baptism. We do it now once a month. And I'm a, sometimes in some of the campuses, the guy said, well, Steve, what if, what if no one is, is, um, there's no one to be baptized and we're going to do it anyway? I said, we're going to do it on the, on once a month. I forget what Sunday it is. Yeah, well, I think whatever it is, once a month. And I said, because I want it to be a visible thing that we see. We need to make sure, if you're not yet but water baptized, can I tell you something? You're spiritually an infant. Did you hear me? If you're not yet water baptized, that is promoting spiritual infancy. It is an elementary decision. It doesn't save you, but actually it's an evidence of your outworking of your salvation. You're identifying with the death and the resurrection of Christ. When you were put under the water, you were burying the old man and the new man is coming up. It's not just getting wet. It's not just an act of obedience. It's a mark of a disciple, someone who was following hard after God in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> Revival means, according to this story, that people are beholding miracles and signs and wonders. That actually there are miracles happening. Amen. I'll never forget that time in church. We had a, a youth prayer meeting. And I said, I gathered all the young people. We had, I think, Mark, there was 300 young people in the youth group at the time. One of the largest youth groups in Australia. And I remember I said, with, with the 300 on a Saturday night, every Saturday night, I said, okay, now we're going to have a prayer meeting and I want you all to come. Do you know how many young people came to the prayer meeting? 18. And I remember I was, I was not happy. I thought they all want to get together and they want, a, they want you know, a youth service, but prayer is what changes everything. And only 18 people came to the prayer meeting. I was in a bad mood, to be honest with you. I didn't want to pray. I, I was praying, but I was, I was praying the wrong prayers. You hear me? And I'm mad. And at the end of the night, this is what we did. I'll never forget it. We just called out this area and we said, this is going to be an altar. And I remember I had like a, like a baton, like a race baton. You know the ones you pass on a, what do you call that? Relay. 
relay race, yeah. And so I, I had that and I said, we're gonna pick up the mantle of Elijah. And Elijah's mantle was a mantle of prayer, amen? And I said, we're gonna pray for the young people who are lost in our city. And I said, we're gonna, every one of you, all 18 of us that were there, we're gonna pick up this mantle and we started calling out the names of people that aren't yet Christians. By the way, that's what that wall is out there. We're asking people, give us the names of people we're believing God to get saved this Easter. Amen? Because we gotta make sure we're focused on reaching lost people. Somebody say amen. If you're noticing the sound, if you're noticing the carpet, you might just wanna open your eyes and see what God is doing in Jesus' name. Amen? And so, I mean, so one young person picked up this mantle and he started praying for everybody he knew that wasn't a Christian, named them. Then the next one, remember this, Mark. Then the next one picked it up and we're all going, amen, amen. And we're praying, God, save these people. They don't yet know you. And I remember picking up that mantle and praying these prayers. Lord, I'm praying for Trevor. I'm praying for Robin. I'm praying for Sheila. I'm praying for Bill. I'm praying for Scott. They're all Sharon's family who actually didn't know the Lord. And now they've progressed a long way. But I gotta tell you something. We just began at the end of it. Do you know when, when, the, when, when God turns up? Who's ever been a place in the presence of God where you're too scared to move because you're too scared to move? You don't want to do anything. If you're, <coughs> if you're doing, if you're like this, you don't wanna move even your finger because you don't want this to go away. So you're trying to hold that moment. Does anybody know like when you've been in prayer and you've been, and, and like, oh my gosh, he's here. You feel him. You sense him. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The presence of God is tangible. And I remember I just was sitting there and I, I looked up and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Steve, he calls me that because that's my name. Steve. I've heard your prayers. I said, thank you, Lord. That was the general idea. And we really prayed. I'm telling you, I felt like we, I felt like there were angels being sent, commissioned. I felt like that moment in Daniel when the angel finally comes and Daniel goes, where have you been? And 21 days of prayer. And then the angel said, as you prayed, it sustained me and gave me strength to break through. I gotta tell you, church, look at me. Some of us, including me, when we get to heaven, we're going to have some angels with some attitude because we gave up in prayer too early and they went back without their assignment accomplished because we stopped praying. That's scary. I, I'm going to have Gabriel say, Steve, if you just hung in there that little bit longer, if only you persevered. Now, I, I've, this moment was one of those moments and God said, I've sent angels to answer the prayers you've prayed. And I'm telling you, the hair on the back of my head, it was, and I was too scared to move. And I looked up and I saw all the blood had drained out of every young person's face. I said, young people, the Lord's here. They said, mm-hmm, we know. I said, he sent angels. And I'm not kidding it was like you could feel them. If, like, imagine, I don't know if angels have wings, but imagine if, if, if they walked past you and you felt just the, the, the wind move as this, this presence, this being walked past you and you could feel it. And I said, he sent angels into this meeting. God's answering our prayers. And they all went, uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, there was an acoustic guitar sitting on a guitar stand, and it began to play all by itself. I don't know what to do. They never taught me in Bible school what to do when an angel comes in and plays the guitar. 
I was going, I was speechless. I was like, <laughs> and my head, I'm trying to get an understanding. I do have a pragmatic mind. It gets in the way of God sometimes. I'm thinking, is there a window open? And is there wind blowing through the strings? Is it, did it fall over? But no, it was sitting on the guitar stand playing a riff. And I didn't know what to do. But I'll tell you what did happen. I saw young people jump on their feet. There's an angel playing the guitar. I said, yeah, pretty cool. Others, we call it sucking carpet. Others went straight down, face to the ground. Oh, God. Oh, God. And there were others that started saying, God, I confess this sin and that sin and this sin. I thought that was interesting. We need to talk later, you and I. <laughs> I turned to my brother-in-law. I said, what are we going to do? He said, why don't we worship God? I said, that's a very good idea. And so I'll never forget my brother-in-law walked over to the guitar stand where the guitar was and respectfully kind of looked around. And he said, excuse me, talking to the angel, do you want to play this or should I? True story. How many know the next prayer meeting, we had 300 young people at it. But only those 18. Can I tell you, Revival means signs and wonders, miracles and healings and breakthroughs. Come on, somebody say amen. Revival means people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So here's what Peter did. Let's build an altar, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elisha, and we try to institutionalize a move of God. And I want to show you what this looks like. Come with me to Numbers chapter 14. And let's look at verse, sorry, Numbers chapter 11, verse 14. I'm going to read to you a few, a few verses. It says, Moses is having a whinge. You ever, you ever had a whinge to God? You ever said, God, this is too hard, this is too much? You, you, ever, you ever complained to God? Like God didn't already know that's how you felt anyway? But finally you let the words come out because God knew it. And so here's Moses. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If then, is this then how you're going to treat me? Please go ahead and kill me. I mean, here's Moses. He's really, he goes, go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own room. And the Lord said to Moses, bring to me, God just ignored him. Just never even addressed that. Bring, bring to me 70 elders who are known as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come down to the tent meeting that they may stand with you. There's something powerful about men standing with their leader in the house of God. I remember one time I was at a soccer game where Josh was playing, and I heard, I was listening to these parents, two dads, they were in the bleachers below me, and I heard one parent, one dad talk to the other dad, and he said, you won't believe what our pastor is asking us to do. Toby, this was in 2008. I remember it well. It was the global financial crisis. And so he said, how many know? He goes, you won't believe what our pastor is asking us to do. Well, number one, am I his pastor? Who is this guy? And, and what's his problem? What is the pastor asking them to do? And the pastor wanted to build a bigger parking uh, parking spaces, and he said, I, and he goes, and he, and he goes, the, the pastor is asking us to give money to pay for the parking spaces. And he goes, he should just be glad we're coming to church and we're giving anything. How dare he ask for more money? And I'm just sitting there listening. And he goes, but don't worry, I've got a petition, and I'm going around every man in the church and asking every man, to sign this, telling the pastor to back off. Just be glad we come, and just be glad we just be glad we give anything. This is the wrong time to be asking for money. That's when the spirit of slap gets on me, because I'm thinking I don't know who the pastor is, 
But if he's thinking we want more parking spaces, he's thinking that means more people are coming. And he's probably thinking we have answers and we got to go tell people and we got to make sure we let them know what we see and what we hear. And here is a pastor thinking, how can we reach more? He's not interested in a bigger parking lot. He's interested in more people coming to faith. Come on, somebody. God give us men who know how to stand with their leaders. It says men who are leaders and have them come to the tent meeting that they may stand with you and I will come and I will speak to you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them and they will not, you will not, they will share the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said and he brought the 70, I love this, the 70 of the elders of Israel, and he had them stand with them in the tent. Where? In the tent. And the Lord came down, and a cloud spoke to him. And then it says he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, that's because he took some of the Spirit that was on Moses. Do you see this? And it says, I love this now. When the Spirit of God rested on them, they prophesied, but they didn't do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, they're the only two people who get a name in this story. There were 68 other men, but these two get a mention. Why do they get a mention? Because look what happens. It says, they remained in the camp, and they were listed among the elders, but they didn't go to the tent. Yet the Spirit of God rested on them, and they prophesied where? In the camp. Where were the others? In the tent meeting. Can you see it? Now, you realize it was God who gave all of them the ability to prophesy. So God said, well, regardless of where Eldad and Medad are, they're all getting this. So God goes, I'm good with them being in the camp. I don't know why they weren't in the tent meeting. Maybe they had an argument with the wife. I don't know. Maybe he lost his shoe. I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why they didn't make it to the tent meeting, but the Bible does tell us God goes, you too as well, as much in the camp as those in the tent meeting. Got it? And look what the Bible says. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Look at the response of Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, who'd been Moses' aide since a youth, and spoke up, Moses, my Lord, stop them. This thing's not five minutes old, and we've already put limitations to it. We've already decided what God can do and what God can't do. What, where you can prophesy and where you can't prophesy. And you should, you're supposed to be in the tent. And if you don't do it the way we think you should do it, it shouldn't be God. But God is bigger than our little rain, lanes and ruts and way in which we think God moves. Come on, somebody. And look what Moses says. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the, pe- the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon everyone. And then Moses and the 70 men returned to the camp. Can I just tell you, I believe with all my heart, I believe that God actually is bigger than our, our little definition of who he is. And I think we gotta be so careful we don't do what Peter did and we try to build altars to things rather than understand the real story is people need Jesus, and they need you to tell him. They need you to tell them about him. I'm going to tell you this Easter, I'm praying for an absolute outpouring of the word of God being preached. I'm praying that we bring as many people as we can this Friday night, this Sunday morning. I want to tell you this next Sunday morning, I want to tell you, you need to invite as many people as you can. You need to tell people this week about Jesus. If ever there was a time that people are open to this season, it's an Easter season, and we got to make sure that we're being louder than the media, being louder than social media, being louder than Twitter, being louder than TikTok, being louder than any legislative politician's opinion, being louder than AOC, being louder than all the trying to demonize each other against each other. The church comes together, united. We love people. We love God. Come on, somebody say amen. My time's up.
John 5, I'll finish. Jesus saw a man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. And it says, Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time. And Jesus said to this man who was an invalid, 38 years laying by a pool. Let me tell you about the pool. I've been to this pool in Israel. Been to the very place where this pool was. Still there, the ruins of it today. This, this pool, once a year, an angel would come from heaven, stir the water. And the first person that jumped in the pool from that moment got healed. And Jesus learned that this man had been laying there for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be well? Sir, the invalid replied, He's missing the question. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I've got no one to help me into the pool. When the water's stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone always gets in ahead of me. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. And he picked up his mat and he walked. We can learn to have excuses to why we are the way we are and why we haven't changed. But Jesus is asking this question. You've been there for 38 years. Do you actually want to be well? Could you ever picture yourself being healed and whole? reintegrated with your family, reconnected with your people and your community? Could you ever see yourself no longer lying here by this? And we think it's always what someone else has to do for us. I got no one to help me. There's, there's always someone faster than me, someone better than me, someone smarter than me. And I love what Jesus does. Get up, pick up, and walk. I think you're either up, you're getting up, or you're walking. We, we can explain away. We can medicate away what's going on in our lives. Or we can have a genuine, genuine encounter with Jesus and our lives will never be the same again. I tried, I tried. Trust me, I tried. 17, the, the, the reckless life I lived with drugs and alcohol. I'd, I'd done more things at a 17-year-old than a whole lot of other people lived a whole lot longer. It is a miracle I'm even alive today. But the things and how God kept me and God protected me. He protected me from myself and I tried. I used to think there's got to be more to life than just this. There's got to be, got to be. There has to be. And I tried to do the most outlandish, wild, reckless things. Trying to impress my friends. But every night I'd go to bed and I used to think to myself, there's something more. I don't know what it is. And I want to tell you, the day I walked in the church, my friend said to me, if you don't go to church... He was a professional boxer and a professional footballer. He was one week a Christian. He said, if you don't go to church, I will beat your head in. I was scared of this guy. Genuinely scared. And I knew he would. The really unfortunate part of that story is he's only one week a Christian. He does not know that you don't threaten people to go to church. But I knew him. And I gotta tell you something. I sat on the back row where all the good sinners sit. <laughs> I was drunk when I went to church. I couldn't go sober. The only problem was it was an hour drive to the church. And we got there an hour before the service started. Because I had the disciple John and Peter as my two friends dragging me to church. And they wanted to make sure I didn't miss the start. And then the church service was three hours long. 
I'm five hours into this. I'm starting to sober up. And I'll never forget when the preacher gave the appeal and said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm sitting there going, get me out of here. My two friends are praying harder than I've ever heard them pray. And the preacher said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just lift your hand right you see it. And I'm sitting there, give your life to Jesus, the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Look at all these poor young people don't know the world that I live in. I would love to introduce them to my life. And all of a sudden, my hand's in there. And I look at my hand, I was in shock. Preacher says, I see that hand. Changed everything. Changed everything. I don't remember going to the front. I don't remember. I, my life has been forever changed. Church. Revivals when people are getting saved. And there's this great joy and there's signs and there's wonders. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's know what a biblical revival is. And let's bring that. Let's go back down the mountain. This is the mountain if you don't know. This is the mountain. But we're not supposed to stay in the mountain. We're supposed to go tell people what we've seen and what we know of Jesus and I want to encourage you to be bold to tell people about Jesus I don't see it different in scripture it's not just me coming to church and getting prayed for and falling over that happens God can do whatever he wants to do I'm not chasing gold falling out of a ceiling are you hearing me I'm not chasing the signs and wonders. I want to chase the hand of God, not just what He does. I want to know the ways of God. I don't just want to see the acts of God. I want to know His ways. Let's pray. God, I'm scared that somehow I've gotten in the way of this message today. Lord, come and do what only you can do. Touch our hearts. Break our hearts for the lost again. People don't know you. And we do. Help us, God, not be selfish. Let's keep our faith to ourselves and Help us, Father, to be bold. There are people here, listen to me today, in each and every one of our campuses that don't yet know you as Lord and Savior. Others, I'm aware, Father, today are here. And they're not walking with you like they once were. And I pray today they would give their lives to you again. Pray that those that have never known you would come to know you. I'm praying for our church, Lord, on this first Sunday of the month when I get to speak to the whole church family, where I get to be dad. God, break our hearts for the lost. Not just bless our business. Not just heal our bodies. But I'm asking for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name.